Welcome to another episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. Today, we bring you an insightful session with a top African chef in the landscape. And he will be discussing promoting African culture through food. Globally, food plays a tremendous role in showcasing the rich cultures of groups of people and is often celebrated for its unique ability to unite people from different cultures. As such, I am sure that many of you will agree that the importance of food cannot be overemphasized. In recent times, the African culture has received increasing limelight with our music and fashion becoming more appreciated on the global stage. However, African food is still largely undiscovered or underappreciated in several parts of the world. Food enthusiasts and advocates agree that it is important that the African food culture be recognized understood and showcased on equal levels with the array of continental dishes out there. But how can we achieve this? How can we change the existing narrative? How do we make the African food culture globally relevant? And most importantly, how can African food business owners achieve profitability while also promoting the African food culture? Our guest today is Chef Bear, who is a celebrated chef restaurateur, award-winning cookbook author, and entrepreneur. Born and raised in Senegal, Chef Pierre is known for his innovative cooking style, at once modern and eclectic, yet rooted in the rich culinary traditions of West Africa. He is also the founder of Yolele Foods, which distributes African food products across the United States of America, and introducing ingredients like Ponyo, a resilient and nutritious Asian grain from the Sahel region of West Africa. Chef Pierre is the author of three cookbooks, including his latest, The Ponyo Cookbook, released in October 2019. He has won several awards and accolades for his cooking and advocacy. Chef Pierre will be discussing with us today on the role of stakeholders in promoting the African culture through food. Welcome, Chef Pierre. Please introduce yourself to our listeners out there. Well, I'm uh, Pierre Chiam. My name is, I'm a chef from Senegal, like you just said. I'm uh, based in the United States, uh, actually bi-coastal between New York City and California, owner of Teranga Restaurant and uh, owner, co-founder of Yolele Foods. And my mission is to really introduce my food culture to the world. You know, in a sense, I came to the United States in the late 80s. And at the time, New York City was already being called the food capital of the world but there was no such thing as African food being represented at the level of other, you know, world-class cuisines. And I thought there was an opportunity for me as a chef and it became a mission. And over the years I've opened uh, three restaurants in New York city, two in Brooklyn first, and then this one, Teranga, my newest one. And I've written three cookbooks, like you said, and I started this company, Yolele, because I also wanted this mission to be about uh, supporting farmers and supporting my my country of origins really you know which is west africa i wanted the farmers to to have markets for their amazing products and uh, they're not recognized all they need is markets really you know and those markets will bring economic prosperity to those regions of west africa that's why i studied yolele and the other reason why i did it was to also bring diversity, to bring our voice as Africans, you know, uh, African food, you know, our voice, our ingredients, because you cannot 
represent African food without African ingredients, really. So, so that's really uh, the reason why I studied this, and uh, and here I am. If I may ask before we go deep into the conversation, uh, what is the meaning of Yolele? Yolele is a Fulani word. You know, Fulani as a Nigerian, you know, it's a, it's a it's a big uh, a nomadic ethnic group that you see around Africa, you know, and uh, I'm part Fulani myself. And uh, I like to have the word Yolele because it's a celebration word, you know, it's a word that's been singing, uh, that, that people sang around, around the Fulani culture and around the continent. And uh, I like most importantly, the, the nomadic aspect of this language, you know, I wanted the food that I present to transcend borders, just like the Fulani do, to transcend borders, to go from Africa all, all the way to the US and across the globe. And uh, those are the two reasons why I, I called uh, my company Yolele. And I like the musical sound of it too. Thank you so much. All right, so going into the topic of discussion right now, I'll start with this. You are an internationally recognized African chef and a trusted brand in the landscape. So I'd love to know how it all started. What are your motivations and key success factors leading you to where you are right now? Um, well, basically it started how I, I said earlier in my introduction was living in New York City. I was actually a student in physics and chemistry. I wasn't even a food student. You know, physics and chemistry is where I studied. That's where I went to the U.S. with a student visa. And uh, my first job opportunity was uh, to become a busboy in a restaurant by pure chance. And this restaurant changed everything for me for different reasons. One was a cultural shock the fact that I was in this kitchen uh, and looking at everyone in the kitchen, there were only men in that kitchen and coming from an African food culture where food is a gender-based activities, you know, you only see women in the kitchen. So that was my first shock. And the second uh, opportunity came from the fact that the chef in that restaurant took a liking in me, you know, he, he liked the fact that he could practice his French with me. You know, I was coming from Senegal and I had, uh, in, and he had studied in France. So, you know, that was uh, another thing. And he thought he could take me under his wing and, and teach me the, the skills of cooking because he knew I needed a job to save money to go back to school. And, and he, he said, uh, let me teach you from the bottom up, starting by washing dishes. You know, it was really from the bottom up. And that's what I recommend actually to, to anyone who, who's serious about cooking to really take every steps of the kitchen seriously. And, and the first step is to, to, to wash the dishes, you know, and um, it's very humbling also. But from there, that's where I started learning how to, you know, to treat the, the vegetables, peel vegetables, uh, chop onions. I mean, those kind of things that you, you, take, you take for granted are like the foundation really. And, uh, and over, the, over the years, you know, I've learned different uh, sections of the kitchen from the prep to the garde manger to the grill to the sauciers and 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 I, and I and and I was very curious about food and I started to really fall in love with this craft you know which looked very much like chemistry which is which was my my uh, my background as a student so you know I made the connection 
very early on and I, I, I just jumped and, and decided to read. I was very curious about food and I was reading all kinds of cuisines, you know, and I was reading about it. And I, today I even have this, this really amazing collection I'm very proud of, of cookbooks from all over, you know, and, uh, and that became a thing for me, you know, over the years I left that restaurant, I worked with Italian restaurants, I worked with French bistros, you know, and gathering all that information until it really dawned on me that, you know, these cuisines are great, but you know, the cuisine I came from as well is great and I don't see it represented here. And I wanted to be a part of that answer, introducing my food culture. You know, I was like, you know, it was very important to me, you know, especially when I noticed in the restaurants I was working at, you know, when there's a thing we call cooking for the family before the, the, the dinner starts, we cook for the staff around. And whenever I would cook for the family, I would cook the dishes from my country. And everyone loved it, you know, everyone who never had it just loved it. And they were like, wow, this should be, you know, should be served on the menu. Everyone was just really thinking that, you know, this food had a place, just like I knew this food had a place because I grew up eating it. I just had to take the steps and that's how, uh, how it started really. And, uh, and that, that just at first started with, introducing specials in the restaurant you know it was not an african restaurant but i was introducing african specials and and people loved it as i had prom been promoted as a chef of course i'm just going very fast in this uh, progression and later on you know all those specials were like a collection of recipes mostly recipes from my mother you know i was inspired by the food from my memory really and writing them down and and it became so many of them that i decided to write my first cookbook and my first cookbook was also called Yolele. And uh, it was named after my restaurant. Like at the time I had opened, it was early 2000, I had opened a restaurant in Harlem, in Brooklyn actually, called Yolele. And, uh, and that restaurant was focusing on introducing African food culture, inspiration from West Africa, really. And, and bringing it in a way that wasn't seen before in the US. You know, it was like a bistro-like, restaurants you know where you would come and you would have a service and you would have like a, a wine list and everything was presented you know in a, in, in a new york style but african food in it and it was a unique thing it was very much appreciated and accepted especially the community we were in in bedstuy brooklyn at the time bedstuy brooklyn was like really a, a community that was you know uh it was the ghetto really it was it was very poor and you, you, there was no restaurants like that there was only fast food fast chain restaurants but nothing like a sit-down restaurant and and the community really embraced it it was shocking to them to see an african restaurant that was serving not only the african food but the the music the atmosphere everything you know i wanted it to be about the culture not just about the the plates you know that even the plates had like inspiration from from africa the way we were presenting it you know so that really triggered everything and you know i can go on and on you know, from there the, you know, my first cookbook came out that book was really well received you know we got finalist of the julia child award my publisher was very pleased and that's how subsequently i wrote two other cookbooks with the same publisher and my motivation, you know, you know, getting inspiration from the food, from my memory, the food from, from West Africa, the food that, that I grew up eating and taking pride in it. And I think that's a big key factor in the successes that I've had 
that I, you know, I took pride in it and I packaged it, I presented it in a way that it would be competitive to others, you know, like, you know, if I'm, my restaurant is next to an Italian restaurant, you know, people can enter my restaurant and feel as comfortable as the other one. But in addition to that, I also bring my flavors without any compromising, you know, really bringing it, but, uh, but yet package it properly so that it it's uh, it looks beautiful you eat with your eyes first you know that's very important so the packaging the presentation is important you know the cooking cooking is something that where you have to realize all your senses have to be present you know the the, the smell the the look the colors all those things the, even the atmosphere of the, of the restaurant like i said the light all those things have to be taken into consideration the colors of the walls the paintings the, the artwork that you have there has to be a connection and harmonious, you know, and then that you give yourself all the chances to succeed. And of course, you have to have good food. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I would like to say yours is a case of despite not humble beginnings, starting from a boss boy and then moving up the ladder to a globally recognized chef. So I want to quickly follow up on one thing you said about launching your cookbooks, and right now you have three out there. I know that many other chefs out there are looking to publish their cookbooks or you know, just want to present a written document of their top recipes to everyone out there. But you know, the fear that they might not be globally accepted. And because probably it is African cuisine, they're looking at where and who can help them to push it out. So if you were to tell them three things to help them to move their cookbook from idea to a globally acknowledged and accepted book, what would these three things be? Well, first, first you, you want your, your book to be really a contribution. You know, you want your book to play a role, not just because you, you want to write a book means that your book is needed out there in the market. So so make sure you, you you find your voice as you write your cookbook. You know, it's it's like any art form, it's like music, you know, finding your voice and having a book that's as original, you know, as possible. You know, why when I wrote my cookbook, it was always centered around my own experience. You know, my first cookbook was about the food that I grew up eating. You know, I wanted to share that with my audience, with my readers, you know, my readers most of them were in the United States. So I, I took a photographer and we traveled to Senegal and we spent time with really with the women of my family. Really the book became a tribute to the women of my family and at large the women of Africa because women of Africa are the one who are the custodians of that food. You know, they're the one who took that food and from generation after generation were able to pass it on to their daughters and so on and so forth until it got to us. And for me, all I did was just take me to the international, but all the, the, the credits were, to, were for them. So I wanted the first cookbook to be about that. So this was the book I was presenting, the first book. And the second book, you know, it was another continuation of the first book. The second book, I traveled around the country with a, another photographer, but we were spending time with the producers at the source of the food. I wanted the reader to know where that food was coming from. You know, I wanted the reader to be connected with the producers, with the fishermen, with the, uh, the rice growers in the south of Senegal, with the fonio growers in the southeast region of Senegal. And each of those chapters, I spent time with a particular producer 
I wanted this book to be different than your typical cookbook. You know, typical cookbook, you open it and you have recipes and beautiful pictures of the finished plate. But the reader is left without really knowing where the ingredients that are in the plate are coming from. So this cookbook, I wanted this cookbook to tell that, you know, to the reader, you know. So, you know, I would interview the, the fisherman and he would tell me his story as a fisherman, you know, why, you know, he's a fisherman because it's a family thing, you know, he grew up, his father was a fisherman and why he's not even dreaming of his children becoming fishermen because he thinks, you know, the fishing is exploitation, the exploitation of the, the water is, is really, there's no future for his children in, in, the, in this activity, you know, so the book becomes even political. The books really tells a message and it talks about the challenges of the fishermen. And then, you know, it go from another chapter and I spend time with women harvesting rice in Casamance, you know, and spend time with them. I learned that the way they harvest rice is like there's some gender activity to the harvesting is by the women the, and the, the growing is by the men. And, and when they harvest, they have a way of singing, you know, and I have to translate that in the book. So that's why, you know, it's important that the way you write and the, your voice is coming out, you know, and, and I wanted that to be, uh, all you know very visual in the writing you know so i go from that and uh, and i i talk about those women and their challenges and i give recipes around the rice you know like i did give recipes around the fish you know and i do the same thing around the fonio and i spend time with the palm oil uh, producers in Casamance and I talk about that and the challenges and why palm oil is talked about a certain way and the, the pros and cons and I, then I give recipes and that's how I, I, I developed that cookbook you know and the, my last cookbook was about fonio it's a single ingredient cookbook you know but it was focusing on the journey of that grain because I knew that grain I needed to educate people about that grain I wanted the, the, the reader to know how how we farm fonio, how we grow fonio, why fonio important nutritionally, why is it so so good for you, you know, why is it gluten-free, I mean, and, and, and why is it good for the environment, it grows in poor soil, it, it's drought resistant, it doesn't require much water, you know, it's, it has a low glycemic index, so for the diabetics it's really recommended. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's nutritious, it has uh, amino acids that are uh, really deficient in other grains fonio has it in abundance this is only one chapter of fonio and then of course you have the recipes you know you have traditional recipes you have imagined recipes so i have images of women processing fonio cooking fonio traditionally and then i have images of the things that i do with fonio the the, the dishes that i present with fonio your book has to be appealing and interesting you want the book to be on the shelf and like the the readers who, who are working the aisle of the library to go and grab it, you know. So the design aspect of the book is very important as well. So it's not just you deciding to write the book. You may have the content, but you need a team to like work on the design. You need a good photographer to have the, the images really coming out because food photography is a skill. It's not just any photography. It's like food photography so that the food comes out popping out of the pages of the book, you know. So those are also different aspects of it. And again, you know, you want to tell a story that's like not being told already. So this is, uh, and, and that's the, uh, the, 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 the great opportunity we have as Africans 
especially African in the food field, you know, because our stories are not being told, you know, there's not enough African cookbooks out there. You go in any any bookstores in, in the rest of the world, you see food from all over the world, but you don't see anything in the African section, unfortunately. Or sometimes you see here and then a few African um, recipe books, not even written by Africans, you know, written by Westerners. So, and and you go through them, and you you realize that you know many of those recipes are even bastardized. You know, they're not really true to the um, the, the the authenticity of the and the tradition of the the cuisine. So, to make a long story short, you know, there's different steps to write a cookbook, and uh, and you have to really make sure you give it all the chances to become a, a book that would be read and uh, that would really contribute to the to the food world really you know and we have a voice you know have find your voice give it a quality cookbook find good photographer find a good publisher distribution is important too you know if you if you want to do it by yourself without the publisher you know it's also feasible a lot of people do it and uh, it's a lot of work but um, but it's feasible so I definitely encourage people to write, but make sure you just don't write for writing's sake, write because you have something to say. Amazing insights. Thank you so much. And I, and I can go on and on, but few things, content is important to tell a story. You have to make sure your cookbook is different and unique from all other cookbooks out there. You have to make sure that the design is appealing and interesting. And it has to have some historical and cultural value. It has to contribute to the landscape. And uh, finally, the distribution has to be top-notch. You have to find a good publisher as well. I think uh, those are about the points I was able to quickly gather. Thank you so much for sharing those wonderful well, points. Thank you. Thank you for listening and for very <laughs> doing a good summary of what I said. All right. Uh, so moving on. So we've been mentioning the African food culture. Food culture has come up several times in your discussion. So how would you define the African food culture? What does it represent for you? What does it mean to you? Well, to me, it means, it means everything. You know, for me, it's, uh, it's my source of inspiration. You know, there's, um, you know, even though it's, it's tricky to say when you talk about African food, you know, it's... Um, it can be tricky. There's so many different uh, food cultures in Africa, and 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 yet there's also a, a unity, a, a cultural unity when it comes to the way we approach food. You know, there's always this aspect of sharing, of this generosity. Uh, there's uh, you know love to make a, a long story short. You see, and you see it not only in the way we eat. You know, oftentimes eating around the bowl, you see symbolism in, 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 in eating around the bowl, but you also see uh, symbolic tools in the kitchen, you know, like the mortar and pestle is one of them, you know, that like you would see it in Nigeria when they use it to, to make the fufu. And uh, in Senegal, you'd see that same instrument when they use it to make the rough. And you go in South Africa, you'd see that same instrument when they make the pop, which is like another version of the fufu. And you see it in Kenya. So everywhere you go, there are some things that, that we have in common. But one of the things I, I, I really uh, uh, remember that I see that we share mostly is that generosity and the way we share the food and how the food is like a, a really a medium to, 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 to put us together, to bring us together at every step of, the, of our life, you know, from birth 
to, to death, you know, there's always an opportunity to, to have a food celebration, you know, like, and there's specific foods that are, that are coming for those moments. In Senegal, for instance, there's some, at name building, there's a type of food, you know, at funerals, there's a type of food, you know, and, and, and so on and so on. Circumcision, at like, you know, that's, that's a type of food. Initiation, there's a type of food. It's, so it's, that's, that's part of our culture. You know, and this this is uh, where I get my inspiration, African food culture. You know, and and then of course you have the ingredients, and the ingredients vary different depending on the regions. You know, and uh, being from Senegal, we have a coastal country, so seafood is a big part of our of our food culture, and grains are a big part of our food culture. Unlike other parts of Africa, but Senegal grains are a big part. I mean, we eat a lot of rice. You know, and a part of it is because of the colonial past because we were colonized by the French and the French brought broken rice from, from Indochina, which was Vietnam, that was part of the colonial past. But we also, if you dig deeper and you go into the tradition, we also have our own grains, you know, we have our type of rice actually, that's like from Casamas in the South, but we also have grains like fonio, like millet, like sorghum, that's in the tradition, in our tradition, that's part of the food culture, you know, and I, I want to, take that, you know, and introduce it in, in uh, when I present my cuisine, I want to introduce those ingredients and I want to find inspiration in, in the, the recipes. And my inspiration goes beyond Senegal. It really it, it spans around West Africa because those borders are not really our borders. You know, they, those borders were imposed upon us by the colonizers. And when you look at the food, it transcends the borders. When you look at, uh, in Nigeria, they have Okro soup. In Senegal, we have a similar dish. We call supukanja. You know, it's a, but it's the similar dish, the same way with the okra, with the palm oil, with the seafood. You know, and it's just some tweaks that makes it different, but it's the same basis. You know, they have the peanut sauce also in Nigeria, in Senegal, in Mali, in Guinea. You know, you have ugu. You know, in Nigeria, we we use cassava leaves in Senegal when we make the same dish. You know, sauce free, we call it. So all those different inspirations are part of the African food culture, you know, so the environment, the social aspect of it, you know, with, with, when we share and we eat together with the, the love of sharing and the, 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 of course, the environmental aspect because of the ingredients that really, that impact the food, of course, and, 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 and uh, the, the, the regional aspect that brings the certain type of recipes that are specific to, to a type of region. So that creates the, this food culture that, um, that, that I represent. And I've, to me, that's, um, that, that without that food culture, without your culture, really, you are nothing, you know. And that was, for me, a survival aspect when I was in the U.S. as a young student. I was really finding my culture as a source of... Uh, uh, inspiration as a source of, you know, that strengthened me. And that's in, in, in seeking that culture that I really found my path in, in uh, introducing African food culture. You know, I took pride in my culture and that, and that gave it back to me in, in, in beautiful ways. Absolutely. From what you've shared so far, you've taken this inflexible stand to promote the African food culture through your several businesses in a foreign land for that matter. So do you think taking a stand to promote the African food culture has helped your business? Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, yes, without any hesitation. 
you know, the hesitation was before I took a stand, you know, when I, the ID started to come upon me and gradually I tested the waters by sharing the food culture with first, with, like I said, with the restaurants, you know, that wasn't serving African food culture at the time. It was just me and my peers. And, and, and I saw that the reaction was positive and I was like, you know, I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm going to start by first doing some catering, just offering this food culture by, by catering it. And the catering became so successful that it became a restaurant, you know, and, and if it, you know, one of the reasons why it became successful is people are usually curious about all the food cultures. There's always a, an audience for that. And, and particularly when it comes to Africa, Africa is like such a, such a beautiful, unique brand, you know, but unfortunately, Oftentimes, there's some negativity that's connected with it, you know, especially when you're in the West and you watch TV and whenever they talk about Africa, it's about some kind of war, or some famine or some, you know, hunger or something, you know, but nothing positive. So you, here you are bringing this food culture and, that's, and, and it's a positive aspect, a positive way of presenting it, of packaging it, because you really have to, to insist on the fact that you, you have to present it in, in a way that's like, you know, that it can compete with others, you know, you, you want to present it beautifully. And you have a, an audience for that. People, uh, I was in the United States, so you have, first of all, you know, the, the community of the diaspora who can connect with the food, you know, either because it's their heritage or because they, they know it directly. They came from there, they, they like first generation. So you have those people who come. And then you have the whole, whole um, audience of, of foodies who are curious, who want to know about it, you know. You have the, 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 the media. The media is also surprised because they never seen it. They never heard about it. They never even, you know, so they, you're giving them content. So all those things, because I was doing it African, is why I got uh, this attention because people were like, Ah, you know, this, this is new, this is different. Why is he doing this? And then I was coming from a background where I had cooked in other type of restaurants, you know, and and I had grown in, in my in the different levels of the kitchen in other type of restaurant. I became a chef doing other type of food before I decided to revisit my food, you know. So I you know that that was a good experience that I brought with me. But I wanted my food to be authentically African. I wanted my food to be inspired by the cuisines of Africa. And I said it without any compromising and, they, and, 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 it, and it worked. And I think it's because the main reason why it worked is because it was uh, uncompromising. It was unapologetically African. I actually captured something where you said because you went the African way was why you gained the audience. Of course, coupled with your vast background, but really, uh, like you said, there's always an audience and Africa is a unique brand. And there are always curious foodies and the media out there that want to really learn about the African food culture. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. All right, and um, when we're talking about presenting the African food culture on a global stage, uh, you'd already mentioned a bit of this, but I want us to go a bit uh, further. As with any culture, really, with the success of taking a rich African cuisine to the world, 
also comes the potential risk of misunderstandings and misconceptions about the culture and what it represents. So I'll give this example of, you know, the idea that many people have that some of our staple food have some um, health concerns in terms of their maybe fat content, carbohydrate content, uh, the case of palm oil that is criticized as coming from, you know, plantations that use children as um, laborers. So there's always a kind of misconception and misunderstandings and criticism coming from presenting African food culture to the world. So how would you advise that these misconceptions and misunderstandings are avoided or mitigated? Well, you, it's, it's very important that you, you do your homework. It's very important that you, you, you know your product. You know, knowing your product means um, a lot of reading, you know, reading and doing your studies, your research on the products, on the ingredients that you are presenting, that you're offering, because that's very important. You know, when you feed people, it's also uh, a, a big responsibility. It's a big responsibility because you know that our health is directly connected to the food that we eat, and uh, and many of the health uh, uh, problems that the world is facing is is due to poor diet, you know, and the world at large, you know, particularly here in the United States, you know, um, a lot of the food that we eat, uh, you know, either they could be genetically modified or they are coming from, you know, monoculture and there's different uh, consequences to that, not only to mention the, the, conse the consequences, the impact it has, the negative impact it has on the environment, but the, the limited diet immediately has a consequence on your, on, on your health. So to get back to the, our ingredients, you know, each ingredient that you serve, do your homework. You know, there's some ingredients that are controversial. You mentioned palm oil. And palm oil is controversial for many reasons, and one of them is the fact that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an oil that uh, that's very beneficial. A lot of time, people forget about that. The palm oil is even considered a superfood, and many people sound surprised when you hear about it. But when you do your research, you find out that palm oil has a level of beta carotene that's like ten times more than carrots itself. It's high content of vitamin A. It has issues for the environment because it's a very good oil and people are exploiting it and creating plantation and they are destroying forests to create those plantations. So you as a consumer, you have to make sure you get your palm oil sourced properly. You know, if you source the palm oil from oil that's been coming from a plantation that's been destroyed, you are not doing a good favor to the environment, you're hurting the environment. If you get your palm oil, Traditionally, the way it's done traditionally, natural palm oil, the way we would do it in West Africa. You know, unfortunately, you're starting to have plantation of palm oil in West Africa as well, but you still have a high amount of palm oil that's sourced from the nature, directly from the forest, without having to destroy forests. You can create plantation of palm oil without destroying forest. There's enough land that's not forest that could, that, that could be done. So there's work that needs to be done. There are lots of, lots of companies. If you do your homework, you find there's many companies that are sourcing palm oil in an ethical way. And that's what we should do. Palm oil itself is very good for you. Of course, any abuse is terrible in any ingredient. So you have to be also mindful of the way you, you consume it. But, you know, like I said, you know, palm oil has been vilified many reasons. One of them 
uh, I suspect has to do with Eastern African ingredient it's, uh, in, in many ways, you know, because um, the same way it's affecting the ingredient, the same way avocado is affecting the, uh, the, the environment, the same way soybean is affecting the environment. Those two products, they are destroying forests. The Amazon, they're destroying forests in Latin America to bring them to our tables. But we don't hear about that. We hear about palm oil because palm oil is creating some serious um, uh, disruption in the industries, you know, and that's that when, when it becomes problematic. So for as a consumer, to make a long story short, you have to do your homework. As an entrepreneur, as a restaurateur in particular, you have to know the product that you're serving. You have to make sure you source them properly. You have to make sure you prepare them properly. And, and you make sure you're, your, your customers, your guests come out of it, you know, nourished properly, not with health issues. All right. So I'll come back to your businesses and products. So you've been able to package some indigenous African cereals and spices and introduce mm-hmm. them to the foreign market. And then there's this big issue of trust and how people are, you know, generally unwilling to accept changes, especially when it comes to food. So my question really is around how you were able to effectively position your products in a foreign market, how you were able to build trust and gain acceptance, and um, how you were able to market this African indigenous uh, cereals and spices on a global stage in foreign markets. Uh, well, I had uh, different advantages. One, being a chef, you know, the chefs uh, are trusted for the food when it comes to food. So that, that helped, that helped uh, a lot. And you see uh, many of my peers, few of my peers actually, uh, have launched brands or launched products from the basis that they were chefs and people trust them. And, and that's, that's really, that started with it. And uh, to me, it was uh, two aspects. I took uh, advantage of the fact that there is a growing number of consumers who are conscious, who are looking for uh, food that's nourishing, but that's healthy as well. And that's the advantage we have in Africa. We have many of those foods, if prepared and packaged properly, that are ready for the global market because they are appealing to those conscious consumers. They are considered superfoods. You know, our first product, like I said, is Fonio. Fonio is an ancient grain. It's been around 5,000 years. In Nigeria, you guys call it Asha. So Asha is like, uh, not only is gluten-free, it's, it's nutritious. It's very, very nutritious. And for me, the mission I had was to introduce those crops that are, like I said, underutilized. And in, in a way, to bring economic prosperity to the regions, to the farmers, especially the smallholder farmers that grow it, and opening markets for them by introducing crops, like I said, that are nutritious. This growing number of consumers are looking to have. So the communication is very important. The message that you say, you know, the storytelling is important. I wanted the consumer to, to see this in the packaging, to see this in the message. You know, this is, this, there's a product from West Africa that's underutilized, that's great for you, that has nutrition, that helps farmers in West Africa that helps the environment, you know, those products are, are resilient. They, they grow in poor soil, they, they dotted the soil, you know, so there's so many different angles to take it. 
But in one, one aspect, in other, another aspect for those people who are looking for a diet that's gluten-free, these are great grains that are gluten-free. Like most of our grains, all of our grains in West Africa are gluten-free. You know, these, these products are rich in, in amino acids, they're rich in protein, you know, they, they have different uh, uh, beneficial aspects, you know, when it comes to the grains, when it comes to the greens. When it comes to the spices as well, they, they bring different layers of flavor. You know, we have different flavors. You know, we bring dawa dawa, for instance. When you look at this dawa dawa, you know, when you when I grew up in 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 Senegal, you know, dawa dawa was like this really funky uh, thing that you know in Senegal we would we would have it. You know, and then I traveled around the continent and I see that this this ingredient that's used in so many different cuisines in West Africa. And bringing it to, to the United States, you know, some people would think it's not going to work because it's like so, so strong and so, so pungent. But yet, you know, it, this is the one you need to bring, you know, in addition to being typical from your cuisine, it's very big part of your cuisine because fermentation is a big part of our cuisine. But, you know, it, it represents you. You have to take pride in your products, you know. It's like the Asians, they were able to bring their products. Some of them are as funky as, as Dawa Dawa, you know, the, the fish sauce that the Vietnamese bring. Yet it's international, you know. And, and, and that's the, the thing. I, I wanted it to, to be that way, you know. And I started by introducing uh, one of our Fonio pilafs with Dawa Dawa. We call it Afro-Funk, you know. And, and it worked. People loved it. It was so new to them. And they were like, it started to look at it. And, and especially... All the restaurants, my peers, all the chefs are like, wow, this is an ingredient that we don't know that we can play with, you know, just like Fonio, that's an ingredient that they didn't know. And they're very curious about that, you know, in addition to being a new ingredient, but it was an ingredient that was good for them, good for their health. So this, this is what motivates me. And this is how I, I, I gradually started to introduce those products, you know, by, again, uh, having the right story, you know, having the story about sourcing it, the supply chain, creating a supply chain from the farms to the supermarkets in, in New York City or in the in America, because right now we are distributed all over the United States in all the Whole Foods. We have over 1,000 supermarkets distributing our products. And in addition to that, the story has to say everything, you know, this is the story of a chef who from Africa, who brings products that are sourced from smallholder farmers among the poorest people in the world, those communities, the rural communities, the farmers in, in West Africa, they're among the poorest ones in the world. So the consumer, by buying it, is supporting, in a way, those farmers. So that's a good story. In addition to that, he's, he's bringing diversity in his diet, because diversity is important in our diet. Our health issues are due many times to the lack of diversity in our diet. We cannot eat every day the same thing. We have to diversify. And not only diversify, but bringing di uh, ingredients that are also nutritious and good for the planet. So that's also all those aspects that are in the story. And of course, the branding, the packaging has to be also top-notch. You know, you want the packaging to be top-notch. Every aspect of bringing a new product is, is very important. Just like I was saying about the book, you know, about the packaging of your products also is important, you know. So it's a good product and it's presented well. So you give it a chance, you know, to compete with other products, you know, Western products that are also branded properly. So you cannot just not take the branding seriously. It's everything. Branding is everything as long as, as well as your storytelling. But of course, your product has to be good quality. That's a really fantastic insight. Storytelling is important. You have to leverage the growing number of consumers that want healthy, nutritious food. And of course, your packaging has to be top-notch. 
one thing I also wanted to call out in terms of what you've discussed right now is I think going on a noble mission when it comes to promoting the African food culture is important. We've called it um, storytelling, raising the awareness, providing nutritional information and all of that. But I see an aspect of a noble mission where you are able to you know, communicate good intentions about how you're helping small older farmers, how you're helping to improve their livelihoods, and how you're helping the environment, right? This falls mm -hmm. under communication and storytelling, but I think the intentions behind this communication actually comes so clearly and strongly because you're actually walking the talk. And I think this is really critical and important for any food business owner out there to have that noble mission, to have that objective that they're working towards and communicate this clearly to the audience. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. All right. So I have one final question for you. I think there's a general perception that for you to be globally relevant, for you to present African food to the world, you have to westernize it. You have to add a bit of the Western culture, mix it up properly, and um, just present it in a way that they don't know that it is African at all, because that's what they think would help them to be profitable. So one thing I would like you to do is to debunk this, if possible, and tell us how they can actually be profitable brands and global recognition while promoting the African food culture. Well, I, I, I can't help but laughing when people say you have to, 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 to hide the African aspect of it when you want to sell African food. I mean, so what are you doing then if you're hiding the African aspect of it? You are trying to mimic another cuisine this other cuisine, you're not doing it right because you're not doing that cuisine and you, you, you are hiding your cuisine. So, you know, there's just like, there's a conflict and, and it's, it's important to be clear on what you want to do and what you are selling. If you're doing African cuisine, you have to do African cuisine. You also have to, before that, the African cuisine aspect, you have to understand cuisine, first of all. It's very important to be professional when you do certain things, you know, and being professional, you can present any cuisines, you know, if you do it professionally and it will be presented right, you know, and African cuisine uh, striving on the global stage is just a matter of time, you know, it's, it's happening already. It has happened. It wasn't recognized, you know, when you look at, if you travel the world, if you go uh, just in southern cuisine in America, it's African cuisine, you know, it's like that's food that's been brought by captive West African who were enslaved and they brought this food and you look at this gumbo, jambalaya, all of those dishes, hopping joints, they are all inspired by West African cuisine. They are all, all of it. Gumbo is okra soup, jambalaya is jollof, you know, hopping joints is what we call chebunyebe in Senegal, you know. And all the way to tamales in Mexico, tamales is the moi moi, you know, and you see those ingredients, those dishes are coming, uh, uh, they, they, they are, they're already on the global stage, only there is no African stamp on it. We didn't recognize them, we didn't get the credits from it. They stole our culture, you know, and you can, you can argue all the way to Spain, you know, when you look at the paella, 
is the dish from Spain that came from the rice that was imposed to them by the Moors. And when do you talk about the Moors? The Moors were the black people that were colonizing Spain at the time. And they brought this dish, the only dish in Spain that's eaten around the bowl, just the like the traditional African way, is the paella. You know, rice didn't exist in Spain before it was introduced to Valencia in the 16th century by the Moors. You know, and Moors, the translation of Moors is black people. So anyway, it's, and it's, it comes, you, 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 even in history, when you look at the Moors, the Almoravids, you know, it starts northern Senegal, Maurit Mauritania, Morocco, going all the way. And that was the empire, you know, so that's, that's a big part of it was African. So, so African cuisine was already on the global stage. It wasn't called African cuisine. So to finish this, you know, we, we have to take pride. I'm going to get back to it, take pride in what we do, but we have to be professional, you know, in the way we're presenting it. Presenting it in a professional, attractive way doesn't mean hide it, hide the African aspect. No, you in, get inspiration from the African aspect and you present it. A few years ago, like five years ago, I worked on a project in Lagos, actually, a restaurant that's connected to Alara. It's called Nok, and uh, and I was designing a menu for a restaurant, and the the goal was to design an African menu, but on Victoria Island, where it's competing with other restaurants from different other parts of the world. Because most of the time, when you see it in many African cities, you know you'd see in the best addresses like Victoria Island, you'd see restaurants that are from all over the world, but never African. You know, and so the challenge with this project is the the person behind it, Reni Folawiyo, which is, I say hey to on passing, uh, she had this beautiful vision. She was like, you know, we can't have African restaurants, but presented the way it's presented in any other capital of the world here. And that was a challenge. And we started, we did a design, I trained the staff, and we are serving today, five years later, Knock by Alara is very popular, doing great in Lagos, and we're proudly serving dishes from West African diaspora and people who are coming up from all over. They like uh, the, the locals, of course, because they take pride in seeing their flavors in there. But the expats too, because the expats, they're not coming to Africa oftentimes to, to eat food from their country. You know, you're not coming from Italy to eat Italian food in, in Lagos. You want to discover the flavors of the country you are uh, visiting, you know, and the best, best way to experience a culture is through its food. You know, so, um, you know, it's just, Again, be professional and, and present it authentically, properly, but package it right too, you know, package it right. So by being professional, you will package it right. You know, you will take care of all the aspects, including health aspect, in, including the, the visual aspect, the plating aspect, all of it counts. And, and it's, it's just a matter of time. Like I said, there are so many chefs, I know of many young chefs around the continent in Nigeria as well, who are working on that and who are going to, to bring their cuisines to the world. And again, it's, it's a great opportunity because Africa uh, is, a, is a vast continent. Africa is a vast continent and it has so much to offer and the world is ready for it. The world is looking for those ingredients that are healthy and, and, and they're looking for new flavors. And Africa is the last frontier when it comes to food. You know, all those other great foods has been, have been presented to the world and, and Africa has been just quietly waiting. You know, we have been there in the past. We didn't get the credit, but those cuisines are great as well. And, uh, you know, you cannot talk about Southern food without talking about the impact of African food cuisine on it. You cannot talk about Mexican food without talking about the impact of African cuisine. It's everywhere the African diaspora has been, 
we brought our food there and the food is still present in one way or another and and it's still and it's bound to come back this way with talented entrepreneurs and chefs and and uh, and that's that's what's going to be you know if it's presented properly thank you so much i have really learned a lot in this podcast in fact i am inspired to start a food business that promotes excellent culture Thank you so much. Oh, but You're welcome. One extra question that I think our listeners would thank me for. I mean, everyone is inspired right now about how they can go about promoting the African food culture. But there is the tiny question of financing funding. Many of the insights you've shared, for example, there's one around getting a good photographer to present your food. Uh, pictures nicely. You have to engage a good packaging company such that your logo, your brand comes out popping and um, you have to conduct lots of market data so as you can inform your consumers and customers, uh, give them the right nutritional information. All this I imagine would have some certain financial aspects to it. So what advice would you give to um, chefs out there who the restaurateurs and those who want to start or have already established a food business in terms of um, taking care of the financial part, raising funding, and um, sort of just um, bringing together working capital that helps them to put all those things in place. Well, oftentimes, you know, it starts with a plan, you know, when you plan properly and, uh, you know, people tend to look overlook the importance of a business plan, you know, and a business plan really gives you uh, a roadmap to where you're going, but it also gives you uh, an idea of the, the type of finances you are looking to get, you know. And as you go through the process of the business plan, it unfolds all the other opportunities that will, where you would be able to find that the, the, the right partners or the right, the right amount of money. Uh, and and that's that, that's uh, that cannot come without the plan. You know, once you have the plan, you have a clearer picture of your business. And the clearer picture would be, you know, either go depending on the type of business you're doing. You know, and and if it's uh, it's if it's a, an ambitious business, you know, you would have uh, the, the directions to where to get that money. If it's you know, it, it, and it it doesn't have to be exactly. At the level you want from the beginning, you can you can start small. So oftentimes, I recommend you to start small actually, because you have a better grasp of all the aspects of your business. And starting small also, the advantage is you you need less money when you start small. You cannot just jump and become a, a multinational uh, overnight. You know, it, it's a process. It's a process. I mean, I've been working in the food industry for 30 years now, so it's it's just to tell you it's a process. It and it took. Uh, once it takes off, it takes off much faster, but you have to be patient and start small and be realistic. And, uh, and sometimes just look around with your resources, what you have. If it's limited, you limit yourself to that by keeping your eyes on the prize. And as you grow, you know, and as people see you grow, the, the investors and the opportunities will come to you as well. You know, the, the universe is there, you know, and you get always rewarded with the effort that you put in. So be patient and be not saying not be ambitious, be ambitious, be realistic and start small, but start. Most important is to start, you know, if you don't start, you know, if, because you're waiting to get the million dollars, it's like, it's a, it's a different story. 
Thank you so much. It's really been a wonderful pleasure uh, being with you on this podcast. You're welcome, Ramat. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Nation Africa Podcasts. Do join us next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.